turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 11. We're continuing in our series called Mission Possible, and we're talking about our mission statement of Living Spring, to reach our neighborhood and surrounding communities with the love of the Father, to restore lives to healthy relationship in the Son, and to respond to a move of the Spirit. I want to review very quickly last week. Um, we talked about doubt, and we talked about John the Baptist, and what what... He's in prison now. Now, here's this guy who lived in the desert, who was a prophet and proclaimed Jesus coming. And now he's he's in prison and he sends some messengers to Jesus. And he says, dude, seriously, are you it? Because I'm in prison now. I need to know. Okay. and we talked about four reasons for doubt. I mean, John the Baptist had taken the Nazarite vow, which is the highest uh, uh, commitment you can make spiritually at that time. He lived in the desert. He was ridiculed. He was a prophet, which is a great job to do in this kingdom. But it's a really lame job in this kingdom because you're constantly uh, confronting people. And so he was in difficult circumstances. He was in prison. One of the ways we're going to doubt is when we enter difficult circumstances and we say, God, are you really there? I mean, is this really what it was all about? When I walked down the aisle and I gave my life to you. Now, I wasn't expecting this. This is these are difficult circumstances. The second thing we look at is cultural influence. He says, is it you or should we look for another? There was so much buzz about Jesus at this time. Remember, Jesus talked to his disciples and said, who do people say that I am? And oh boy, all the talk radio shows are going crazy, Jesus. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're another prophet. And then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Who? For you. What's it all about? Cultural influence can affect uh, our, the way we, we uh, see Jesus. Third, incomplete information. No matter how much John the Baptist prepared the world for the Messiah, he didn't have all the information. And so the information he had was there's a winnowing fork in his hand. He's going to come with unquenchable fire. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. The guy's going to go off on you guys. And here he is healing people, preaching peace and hanging around with tax collectors and sinners. John the Baptist didn't have all the information. And because he didn't have all the information, it leads into number four. He had unmet expectations, unmet expectations. He expected, as he ushered in a new kingdom, he expected a different Messiah. And Jesus didn't look like the one that he, he, uh, he had expected. What, what are your expectations? We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning as we kind of move forward from John the Baptist. But uh, from there, we talked about four ways to deal with doubt. And the first is to go to God. This is what Jesus, uh, this is what John the Baptist did. He sent out messengers and he went straight to Jesus and he said, dude, tell me, are you the one? Right? In James, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him, I'm paraphrasing here, let him just go to God and ask him. God gives generously and he doesn't get all frustrated with you. He doesn't reproach you. He doesn't say, well, you've got to be kidding me. This doubt. How dare you? I am the living God. Right? He loves us. Now, it also says we, we don't want to be driven and tossed by the waves. We want to have a solid, firm foundation. But when we're doubting, when we're in a situation where we're like, Lord, I don't understand this. Go to him. Go to him. That's what John the Baptist did. Secondly, we go to the scripture. We have to go to the scripture. What did Jesus do? <clears throat> when when the, the disciples came, Jesus said, hey, tell him the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. 
The lepers are cleansed. This is all out of Isaiah. And then he says, the clincher out of Isaiah 66, I think. Uh, the good news is preached to the poor. Okay? That is a pro- that's a prophecy about Jesus. He goes to the scriptures. Look, I'm fulfilling all these things. When you're in doubt, go to the scriptures. Third, go to each other. I love this. Jesus says to his disciples, go tell John. I want to use you in a ministry to encourage the greatest man that's ever lived. And this is what we do with each other. We call each other up and say, man, I'm really struggling right now. I, 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 things aren't working out the way I planned. I, I tithe and I do everything I'm supposed to do. And yet I'm losing my job. What is this all about? We have to go to each other. That's why we encourage everyone to be in a small group or to be in part of a relationship, some type of relationship with one another so that we can encourage each other. Excuse me, I'm, I don't feel well, so I, I don't mean to sound disgusting. Amplified. <laughs> I'll take that out of the podcast. Okay. Uh, and then fourthly, remain faithful in service. And for that, we talked about where Jesus at the very end, okay, Jesus has died. He's risen again. He's back. He's shown everybody. I mean, it's like, man, this is it. And it says in Matthew chapter 20, some were doubtful or 28, I think some were doubtful. And right after it says that Jesus said, he looked at him and he said, listen, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing name in the name of the father, son, and Holy spirit. Okay. So he says, he says, I know you're doubtful, but be faithful in service because What we talked about is when you're faithful in service, you're being used by the Holy Spirit. And there's no better way to get a sense of God's presence than to be used by him. To be used by God gets rid of a lot of doubt. Absolutely. If we're secluded, if we're by ourselves, if we're not talking to other people, we're not talking to God, and we're just in our difficult circumstances and we're sitting there, you know. The doubt's not going away. But when we're going to God and we're in the scriptures and we're, we're, we're communicating with each other and we're faithful in service, doubt barely stands a chance. So that brings us to Matthew chapter uh, 11, verses 7 through 15. It's a lot of scripture, but it's kind of fun. So make sure you pay attention. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A a man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you and who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen Anyone greater than John the Baptist. Amazing statement. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. It's the key verse there. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. At that point, you hear, oh, <gasps> All around Jesus. Because Jesus is saying, that dude's preparing the way for the Messiah. And guess who I am? That's why, and verse 15, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is saying, this is the dude who's going to prophesy for the Messiah. And I'm it. And he makes an amazing statement. He says, there's nobody 
who's been born of a woman that's greater than this guy. He's ushering in the very kingdom. Oh yeah, except for those who come after him. Once I've done my work on the cross, then the least of those are greater. You guys remember Muhammad Ali? That's pretty much Muhammad Ali right there. I am the greatest. Remember that? Great boxer. Another great thing about Muhammad Ali is he knew how to use his... uh, his eccentricity. Is that a word? He was eccentric and he used that to gain popularity and to make more money. Matthew eleven six through 15, the key verse. I tell you the truth among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. If he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, I want us to understand this key verse this morning. Every single person here, I want you to think about your life has the ability to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Every single person who can hear my voice can be great in the kingdom of heaven. This is the way God designed it. So what we're going to do is we're going to look into this section of scripture and we're going to see what was Jesus talking about. And this isn't the only way uh, to be. uh, I'm not saying that this is exactly what Jesus was saying. There's uh, different ways it will apply to your own life. But I want to ask the question, what are your expectations with a life with God? What what do you expect? When you came here this morning, what did you expect? Like when you drove, did you expect, okay, we're going to go. There'll be four fast worship songs and then there'll be announcements and then the word and then slow worship and then I'm gone. Did you expect fire to rain down from heaven and there be a move of the spirit and we all begin to speak in tongues and people are prophesying and there's a mass revival. Well, no. Thanks. <laughs> what did you expect? What, what do you want out of this? What do you want out of your life with Christ? What does God expect from you? Expectations. They're very important. We talked about this last week. I usually, if I'm counseling someone, I want to ask the question, well, what does it look like to you? What does a radical, I am the greatest Christian life look like to you? Because it can happen. Through obedience, it can happen. Jesus asked, what did you go out in the desert to see? It's a good question. What, 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 what do you expect to be a Christian at your, own, at your job? What do you expect out of your life? What do you expect from school? When you're going to school, how do you expect God to really make a difference? How do you expect God to move? The Holy Spirit, the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit, he gives us a manifestation, an appearing of the Holy Spirit. Every single one of you has this if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. What, what do you expect? Do you expect to live a life of obedience, a life of power? Do you expect a life of comfort? We talked about this last week. I'd rather have a church full of doubting Christians risking it all than a church full of Christians that understand it all that does nothing. I would rather have us radically living our lives to the fullest, greatest in the kingdom of heaven, just trying our best and going, man, I don't know. I don't have it all figured out yet. Than people who just sit and feel like they've got it all figured out. That was me. I sat 
for years and I had all my doctrine figured out. And I was useless. Absolutely useless to the kingdom. I just kept eating and eating and eating and eating and questioning and arguing and reading and listening. Doing nothing. What a waste. What a complete and utter waste my life was. Then I became a pastor. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to, I was looking at Time Magazine. Uh, so I decided to make all three points have a Time Magazine cover attached to them uh, out of 2006 because I just thought it'd be fun. Jesus talks about, what did you got to see? Reeds? Essentially, he's asking. Reeds? You got to see a reed swayed in the wind? What's he talking about? These reeds were everywhere where, he was, where Jesus was. They're everywhere. They were by the water, swaying back and forth. They're in the desert. These reeds were everywhere. And they were swaying back and forth. Now, some people take that as wishy-washy Christians. Oh, first they're this and then they're that. Some people take... Here's here's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about Christians, myself, all of us, where we're just responding. We're always responding. Always reacting. Never pursuing. Never... Going after it, never standing firm, never saying, this is what I'm about. We're always reacting. I'm so sorry, I'm sniffling. Time Magazine, 2006, had this cover. Why we worry about the wrong things. It's talking about an investment strategy, actually, and and the psychology of taking risk. And uh, the idea is that if we keep worrying and we keep risking or investing uh, in, because we're worrying about the wrong things, we're going to lose more money and lose more stuff. It's the same with the kingdom of God. If we're constantly reacting to what's going on, you know, I'll give, I'll give you an example. And please, just I'll explain myself so you can all feel good about me and you won't get mad at me. But, you know, sometimes... As believers, we hear something in the news and then we all just, I can't believe this, blah, 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 blah. We get all upset. Then we read something else and we're, oh, God, oh, man, I can't believe the world today. I can't believe what's happening. I can't believe this. Oh, and we do nothing. It's just back and forth and back and forth. Yak, yak, yak. But how we feel life would be different if we had this person or that person in the presidency or these people in Congress. I do it myself. Or not, not even just that, but just, you know, if we didn't have, you know, I wish my boss were a believer, then things would be different and he'd understand and blah, blah, blah. Jesus says, is that, is that what you went out to see when you saw John the Baptist? Guy worrying about what's going on in the world, what's going on in this. John the Baptist wasn't that, he was laser focused, laser focused. John the Baptist's ministry was Jesus and the kingdom. Jesus and the kingdom. That's what John the Baptist was all about. And this is what Jesus was saying. Did you expect to see a guy who's just out there and he's going to deal with all the issues of the world and everything's going on? Did you expect he'd be wishy-washy? Did you expect he'd be just... Nobody even noticed these reads. He'd be like, did you expect to see a blogger that just sits every week and writes out his opinion on... You know, one of the things... We have a blog on our website. And every month I try to think of something like cool to say. And it was so, it just was such a big weight on my shoulders. 
And then Aaron Mills said, why don't you just talk about the scripture, what you're going to talk about this week? I'm like, yeah, that's cool. It was so much better for me. But I read some of these blogs and it's like, dude, how can you spend all that time just yakking? John the Baptist's ministry was Jesus in the kingdom. Look what he says. John, chapter, uh, Matthew, chapter 3, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, make your life right with God. Because God's rule is coming. God's kingdom is coming. That's a laser-focused ministry. He's all about Jesus. He's all about the kingdom. As a matter of fact, that mantle got passed on to Jesus because after he was baptized, it says in Matthew chapter 4, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Same thing. And when he sent the disciples out, he gave them that same ministry. Matthew 10, 7, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Instead of reacting, figure out What gift God has given you? And don't tell me it's a small gift. You say, ma'am, John the Baptist, he was, he ushered in the Messiah. Nothing compared to the gifts the Holy Spirit has given you. The ability to speak a word of encouragement at the right time that might change somebody's life. I had a friend who was here months ago. He snuck in the back and was sitting here. Fortunately, you guys said hi to him. Uh, That was good. Thanks. Spoke a word of encouragement to me. Changed my life. I don't preach the same. I don't think about the church the same. Just a tiny little word of encouragement. You think, man, how desperate were you, John? (laughs) No, it was the right word at the right time. It was the Lord. You might have that gift. You might have the gift of hospitality. You might have a prophetic word, which we'll talk about in a little bit. See, these reeds swayed in the wind. They were, they were, you didn't even notice them. It's like this. It was like this. This is one of the oldest monasteries in the world. It's on the top of Mount Sinai. If you're down, see, this, this, this view kind of gives you a view inside. But if you're down there, you can see people. See how small that is? See how small they are down there? I don't have a laser pointer, but if I did, right there in the middle, down at the bottom. If you're down there, you can't, all you see, see how the wall is the same color as the landscape? You wouldn't even notice it was there if you were down there. And some of us, this is our spirituality. We, it's, it's all secluded and we build up a wall. Oh my goodness, what happens if this happens and what happens if that happens? We live in fear. We're not even noticed. Jesus said, you got to see reeds that aren't noticed that are just reacting to every little thing. He said, you got to see royalty? If not, what did you got to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Time Magazine, 2006 again. Does God want you to be rich? (laughs) That's a little Rolls Royce with a Christian. I got to get me one of those. That'd be nice. (laughs) That'd be nice. (laughs) Does God want you to be rich? Does God want, did, did, what did you expect when you accepted Christ? What do you expect from God? Comfort? You know, he's the God of all comfort. Yes, he is. He is the God of all comfort. He's the God of peace. There are precious promises that God has in his word that we can claim. I know he's going to bless me. What does that look like? Does it look like that? What, what, what are your expectations from God? Do you expect God to work Everything, oh, God works all things together for good, brother. 
It's going to work out. I know somebody very dear to me that God has promised them blessing. And they are absolutely positive this means financial blessing. And they've claimed this for 30, 50 years, I guess. Right? And I remember talking to them one time and I said, you know, look at your life. I mean, isn't it a blessing? You got kids all in marriages that are stable and strong, that raising kids who, who know the Lord. No, I believe it's financial blessing. And it might be. I, my point isn't that, no, it isn't. Maybe it is. Maybe God wants you to be rich. I don't know. Maybe God wants you to be poor. I don't know. What's your expectation? Did you go out to see a man dressed in fine clothes? Did you expect that, that, that accepting Christ, this relationship with Christ, was going to solve your marriage? That it was going to help your kids grow up to be godly kids? What's your expectation? What is your life? What does a life that's radical for Jesus, that's, that's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, what does it look like to you? What do you expect from God? And what does God expect from you? Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says it this way. They're arguing this is so encouraging to me because we're going to get to Matthew chapter 20. We're in chapter 11 now. We're going to get to 20. And we've been talking about the kingdom of God. You can all do the hand motions. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. Great. Thank you for doing those with me. Okay. I haven't written the song yet, but we're going to write one. as the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. I'll do hand signals. The kids will come up. I just haven't had time, but I'm, it's coming. So he's talking about this stuff. And then the disciples start arguing, oh, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right? They argued about this at the Last Supper. (laughs) Right? Think about this. I mean, Jesus is finally going to die and they're still arguing about this. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the upside down kingdom. Now, we've been talking all this time that these kingdoms are at war. That the kingdom of heaven costs you something. Your very life. Your relationships. This is hard stuff. It brings me to my third point. Radicals. Jesus says, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, a prophet. Now, I've talked about this before, but the gift of prophecy or to have um, a prophetic word or whatever is a very, it's awesome up here because you're speaking the very words of God. You're discerning uh, exactly what, uh, now, you, you, we can get into all sorts of crazy, controversial, theological stuff on prophecy. But, <clears throat> and, 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 and I'm not going to do that because I used to do that. And it, it, it takes too much time and it's useless. Uh, but if you want to email me, I'd be more than happy to go off with you on it. Okay. Not go off on you with it, but go off with you on it. Okay. Okay. But here's the thing. A, a prophet has the tough job of speaking truth at just really awkward times. My sister, I believe, has the gift of prophecy. She's a prophetess. And here's why. We'll be sitting there and someone will say something and I'll go, hey, you know, yeah, yeah, buddy. 
um, we, I, I probably don't. And my sister will go, that's just wrong. You know, there's ways to go about it <laughs> that are kind of better. She says, no, that's wrong. And she'll go in to watch wrong. Not un- lovingly, not annoying, just like, you know, those people. Not like that. <laughs> right? It's not like that. You really sense her love, but she's speaking. No, this is the truth of God. I believe she's got a prophetic word many times. He said, you got to see a prophet? You got to see someone radical? Yeah, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Nobody that's been born up to the time of John the Baptist has been greater than that guy. He's been radical. But I tell you the truth. You can be more radical. You can have a greater impact. How is that possible? Because of what Jesus has done on the cross. See, John the Baptist, even though we read about him in the New Testament, he's an Old Testament prophet. This is after a couple hundred, four hundred years of silence. He shows up on the scene. It's still kind of the Old Testament if you want to get technical, you know. Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. He hasn't redeemed people of their sins. So we're, we're still in this era. And he comes up and he says, there's a new time coming. A new time when the least in the kingdom of heaven, those who have been fully redeemed, their sins have been wiped out, can have an unbelievable kingdom impact. Time magazine in 2006, at the very end. Do you, I don't know if you know. I hate when pastors do this. They like set everyone up to be stupid and then they look so smart because they have the slide because I can see it right here. But does anyone remember, just as a guess, I don't expect that you would, who the 2006 person of the year was? I wouldn't expect it. I didn't know. It's you. <laughs> it's you. Congratulations, by the way. The whole point of this article was that with the clickable age with TiVo and with YouTube and all that kind of stuff. Basically, you decide all your things. You, you're the one. You, you're in control. If you don't want to see a commercial, you don't see a commercial. I was in 2006. How much control do you feel now two years later? You think you're still the, the one? <laughs> it ain't going to change. You could be the 2007, 8, 9, 10, whatever person of the year. You still have no control down here. But up here, you're the person of the year. You're the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And this is no health and wealth. Hey, everybody be happy. We should all, we're all the greatest. I'm talking about when the spirit of God moves through you in a way that's real, as it's been shown in the scriptures, there's no stopping you. There's no stopping you as you humbly live a life of obedience. When the Lord says, get rid of that thing in your life and you get rid of it, there's no stopping you. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does that cost us? Jesus has been talking about all the time. You take up your cross. You're willing to die. It costs you relationships. You say, well, gosh, that sounds hard. What did you expect to see? When you accepted Christ, what do you expect out of your life in Christ? Do you expect to come here week after week and listen to a sermon and and just kind of live life? That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about a life that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's radical. Now, watch what happens. He goes on from here to another verse, says, 
From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. I'm going to take an aside very quickly and we're going to have a Greek lesson right here. Okay? Just so we understand what's happening. This scripture is, there's a, there's a verb in there and we don't know how to translate that verb. There's two ways you could translate it. You can translate it passively uh, like you can, uh, or passive or reflexive. Okay, those are the two ways you can do it. Now, the New American Standard Bible, and it, for all of you who are wondering whether to believe in the Bible, this isn't a gotcha. You're going to see this is just awesome stuff. The New American Standard, it reads this way. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. That's the passive way to interpret that Greek sentence there. Now you think, wow, that's the exact opposite of what we just read. But it's true. Jesus, here he is, Messiah, loses. Violent men come, take him by force out of the Garden of Gethsemane. They, by force, nail him to a tree. Okay? You look around. I got this book up here called Jesus Freaks. It's uh, uh, from the voice of the martyrs. And it's stories about people who've been martyred for Jesus Christ. Or maybe they haven't died, but some, some have. And others have, uh, are still in prison. Others have been released after a bunch of times. Violent men are attacking the kingdom of God. Listen, guys, again, we're at war right now. <laughs> we're, look, you're all sitting. Some of you have your arm around your spouse, tickling her ear. Love you, baby. Okay. You're at war right now. There are there are forces at work that want to destroy your marriage, destroy your family. That want to destroy your witness that keep telling you you're not only the least in the kingdom of heaven, you're worthless. There are forces at work that want to say you are worthless. And Jesus is saying the exact opposite. So that's the passive way to, to read that verse. That the reflexive way is that the, that the kingdom is actually the one doing this. And that's the NIV, which I read. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. You say, well, which one is it? It's both. We're at war. If we drop our guard, forceful men, in other words, that kingdom, not necessarily men, it might be, but just the kingdom of this world will take hold of it. We can't stand still. We can't stop. We can't, our expectation can't be that we accept Christ and then we just coast for the rest of our lives. There are forces at work going after you. So what's the, what is it? I believe in the reflexive, not because it works in with my sermon, but if you look at the parallel verse in Luke, it is translated with that reflexive uh, verb tense, okay? So I, I take the reflexive one. It doesn't matter. The point is we're at war. And the Lord wants radicals. He wants people who are saying... Yes, I'm going to speak that prophetic word, even though it might cost me my job. I'm going to uh, go up and give that word of encouragement, even though I might look like a freak. I got a phone call this week uh, from a gentleman who said, dude, this might sound really weird, but I kind of felt like I had to say it. It was perfect timing. Like, Oh, thank you. Well, the guy risked me going, hey, thanks. Okay. You know. 
Sure, it's, it's, it, sometimes it's hard to call somebody and say, you know what, I just want to let you know, the Lord says he loves you. And he wanted me to tell you that I love you too. Ew. <laughs> right? I just said that to a dude. What is going to happen, you know? Right? The Lord wants radicals. Look, what, look, look at here. I want to get to this section of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 10.4. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary. Listen to, the, listen to this terminology, guys. We know this verse, and so we tend to go over it. They have divine power to demolish. That means to utterly destroy. Do you have a problem in your life? Gossip, lust, you know, uh, an addiction, whatever. God doesn't want you just managing that thing. He wants it utterly destroyed. You got a tension in your marriage? God wants that destroyed. Utterly destroyed. He doesn't want you just going, well, you know, we have our problems. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Is there something in your way that's stopping you from the knowledge of God? Demolish it. Take a big sledgehammer in the kingdom and go radical on it. Goes on and we take captive every thought and make it obedient. We torture the heck out of it. Those thoughts, we torture them. There's no Geneva Convention with your thoughts. They come, you get them. Oh, hello. Where'd you come from? I got a little something for you from the kingdom of God. (laughs) This is radical stuff. This is no holds barred. And we will be ready to punish. (laughs) I mean, look at this. Demolish. Demolish. Take captive. Make obedient. Punish. Every act of disobedience. God wants you to be a radical Christian. Not just a reed, not just one that lives in this world and this world. You know what he wants? He wants smash mouth Christianity. Now, hang in there with me. I love football. I love to watch football. I don't care who's playing. I love to watch football. The weird thing about it is I don't have a favorite team and I don't really follow any team. Like I know who the big stars are, but for example, the Houston Texans, I didn't know that they were the Houston Oilers until two years after they changed their name. And I'd watch them play a, a lot because I like to watch football. Until my friend who makes fun of me and says I wear skirts and I'm a, I'm a woman because uh, <laughs> I don't know this stuff, mocked me and said, they're the Houston Oilers, you idiot. And I, oh, okay, cool. Right? I don't know, but I love to watch football. And one of my favorite football guys, I had a poster in high school, is this guy right here, Jack Lambert. That's Jack Lambert. You know, now I know why I had nightmares as a kid. Because that's the last thing I'd see when I went to sleep, okay? But I had this poster of Jack Lambert. Jack Lambert, so when you're watching football, a term they use a lot is this is just smash mouth football. This is when the line lines up and the ball snap in one team. It looks like they haven't eaten in like three days. And, you know, remember in the cartoons where the guy would turn into a like a chicken bone or a hot dog or whatever. Right. That's what the quarterback looked like to them. They just go crazy. Do you see yourself like that? As a Christian? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I'm not going to be some crazy. We're going to get to that. I'm talking about this kingdom. Okay? 
I'm not talking about you just go in and start, go crazy in this kingdom. I'm talking about this kingdom. I want to read a couple of quotes from Jack Lambert. He says, I, yes, I get satisfaction out of hitting a guy and seeing him lie there a while. Is that cool? I mean, can you imagine? Does that describe your spiritual life? Do you get excited when you, when you have a victory in your sin life? Yeah. Do you ever walk up and punch Satan in the mouth? When I was in junior high, I think I've told this story, but it's so great it needs to be told over and over again. <laughs> when I was in junior high, I had a friend named Mark, and uh, he was being bullied by a kid at school. And um, so uh, I had a big mouth. <laughs> so <clears throat> it's just... So I had a big mouth. And so um, I would tell stories to my friends about how, you know, I can fight. I can do all this kind of stuff. So we're riding our bikes, and uh, we came face-to-face with this guy and his friends. And um, so uh, they, they started arguing, and this bully was going to beat up my friend Mark. And Mark said, well, why don't you fight this guy? Because right? I could fight, I said. I could. And um, so after soiling myself, I... Uh, <laughs> because I was frightened. At that time, there was a way you were supposed to fight. There were rules. At that time, what you would do is you'd walk up to somebody and you'd go like this and you'd go around in a circle for a little bit. And you'd talk and you'd be like, you want some of this? I know you don't want some of this. And you'd never look them in the eye. You'd just be like, well, you want, no, no, you don't want any of this. You want some of this? Right? So that's what you did. So <clears throat> I think I was about here when I saw a bright light <clears throat> and my head went back the other way. See, for some reason, he didn't know the dance in the beginning. He came ready to fight. He just busted me in my mouth. It's the only fight I'd ever been in. And it's the only fight I've been in since because you tend to learn from those things. He walked, I walked, oh yeah, you want... And I mean, I'm literally walk up to the guy and just bam, there's blood all over my shirt or whatever. So then we wrestled and whatever, and I lost miserably. The guy was ready to fight. He showed up ready to fight. As a matter of fact, he was probably ready to fight when he woke up in the morning. He was just a mean dude. That is the kind of Christianity I'm talking about. You wake up ready to fight. You wake up ready to punch Satan in the mouth. You wake up ready to just, oh, are, are, are we going? Bam! You show up at your job and you're tempted to engage in a conversation. It's just like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Now, what does this look like? Jack Lambert says this. I believe the game is designed to reward those who hit the hardest. If you can't take it, you shouldn't play. I'm going to show a video real quick about uh, where, how I feel like I am as a smash mouth Christian uh, sometimes. I don't know if you got the sound going on this. Cool. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
Don't you? Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Don't you sometimes feel like that? You show up at work and you feel like, man, I'm just getting, oh, I don't know, I can't do anything. I, can't. I keep going through this same sin over and over again. Oh. I love when the guy takes it up a little bit. Right? I was reading this section of scripture this week and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I, I want to I punch Satan right now. I, when it happens, I want, I want to be that person that I'm watching television, just sitting there, and something comes up and I go, you know, this is ridiculous. I take my television, I put, unplug it, I put it in the garage. Or I say, you know what, bump this. And I throw the computer in the other room. So I, for a week, I'm no computer. Something. Something that just says, I'm tired of the same old expectation that every week I'm going to go through the same thing week after week. And that a year from now, I'm going through the same thing week after week after week. I want to punch Satan in the mouth. I want to call somebody up and say, hey, I got a pro- I got an email this week from a smash mouth Christian that called me up and said, this is my problem. I got to get it out in the light. He just busted Satan in his jaw right there. Because he brought it into the light. That's a smash mouth Christian. Paul says this to Timothy. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. This word fight right there is a, it's a strategy. It means you're encamped. You're ready. You're ready for the battle. You're sitting there in a tent, ready to go. You got your orders. You're ready. You fight the good fight. Here we go. You've got your orders. The Lord has given you all orders. And he's given you weapons called gifts of the spirit that have to be used. And then in chapter 6, he says something different. He says, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That fight is agonize. Two different fights. One is to... uh, strategize to be at the camp, ready to go. You're, you got this going, this going, this going. It's, it's the next day. We're ready to go. It's game day. The other one is to agonize when you're in the battle to wrestle with all your might to win, to get him in a chokehold and do not let go. Because if you do, he's going to poke you in the eye. Satan does not play fair. And so essentially, it's to be ready. To be ready. What does a smash mouth Christian look like? I'll tell you what it looked like for this guy in Vietnam. His name was To Ding Trung. They came without warning out of nowhere. Evangelist To Ding Trung was riding his bike over a rough dirt road in North Vietnam. This is in the mid-90s. The ruts in the road demanded his full attention. Suddenly, he was surrounded by a squad of communist police officers who pulled him off his bicycle and started beating him. They made fun of him in front of the crowd of villagers, videotaping everything. Finally, he was taken to prison and kept there without trial. Trung had traveled hundreds of miles on his bike while ministering to the Kaho tribe. Dozens of Kaho uh, villagers had become Christians after Trung visited them in their homes. But the Kaho is one of 60 tribes in Vietnam that the government has strictly forbidden Christians to evangelize. Still, a growing number of believers have dedicated themselves to take the good news of the gospel outside the camp where no official churches exist. Some are school teachers, more, more are rice farmers or fishermen. 
All are persecuted by the communist government. Trung was in prison for six months before his trial. He saw this as a divine opportunity to preach to the lost. What else to the, could the communists do to him? He was already in prison. Though his efforts, through his efforts, many came to Christ in the prison near Kuang. I don't even know what that next word is. Meanwhile, Christians around the world were alerted to Trung's situation. Many prayed and wrote letters on his behalf. Because of the pressure put on Vietnamese authorities, Trung was offered an early release. The only problem? The evangelist wasn't ready to leave. He felt God's call to stay in prison and disciple his new flock of believers. Trung refused his early release and chose to serve his full sentence. Trung was greatly encouraged when he heard that the many letters written by Christians on his behalf. He knows he is called to be an evangelist in Vietnam, which is a very dangerous occupation. The prayers and letters gave him the strength to continue to be a witness to his fellow inmates for the kingdom of God. I don't care about my own life. The most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave to me. Go tell people the good news about God's grace. That's a smash mouth Christian. You know what the mark of a smash mouth Christian is? Not his talk. It's love. It's love. That love is about all, is, is what we're all about. And so when we go and we, 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 we get into our job and it's difficult and we're asked to do something we can't do, we don't say, oh, that's a sin, I'm not going to do it. We go, you know what? That won't be best for the company because it's not God's way. I'll give you an example. I, you guys know me. I've been here three years. I've probably never talked about politics, but I will this morning very quickly. <clears throat> Proposition 8 is a, a proposition to uh, strike down gay marriages. Now, here's the thing. Just a couple of things, first of all. Don't, please don't bring petitions or anything here. Like, call me first during the week so that, like, I don't have to make the decision on Sunday morning. Because my point and our point as a church is that we want to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't believe for us the best way is political means. Now, we have a gentleman here who sends me emails. I love his emails. They're all political. Why? Because he's not talking. He's doing. He's actually speaking at conferences. He's actually involved in advancing the kingdom through this means, okay? Anyway, I don't want to go off on this. My point is this. So, so what happens with Proposition 8 is every time I hear about it, it's fear. It's fear. If, if it passes, Pastor John, you're not allowed to speak out against gay marriage. So what? I'll do it anyway. I don't care. I, you know, you'll go to prison. No, I won't. And if I do, then we'll have to deal with it then. We'll lose our tax exempt status, which means that none of you get a tax exemption for your tithes. So what? If you're tithing to get a tax exemption, we have a big set of issues in the spirit that we have to deal with. <laughs> okay? What I want to do is do everything out of love. I would encourage you to vote yes on Proposition 8 because gay marriage doesn't work. Anything outside of God's way does not work. And so it's bad for the couple. It's bad for the kids to, to, to accept a life of sin that doesn't work. The scriptures are clear. It does not work. Now, you, so we can either come out of fear and go, oh, no, oh, what will happen to society? Society's going to hell. Okay, we're not going to. Thanks. Okay. 
We're not going to vote our way out of society going to hell. Okay? All we can do is be lights that shine like stars in the universe. That we live radical, smash-mouth Christianity out of love. Down here it looks like love. Down here it looks like we're punching the heck out of Satan. You see what I'm saying? So... I, I say that in order to, to give an example of here's a, here's a situation, a political situation, that if we have the wrong, if we, it, it looks like we're scared. And in Christ, there is no fear. There's nothing anyone can do to us. Jesus just said in verses before, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Be afraid of the one who can take your body and your soul. We are in love. We are.